big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons over on Patreon, Christine and Tammy. Plus, a huge thank you to Erica and Ruby who upgraded their pledges. And now enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 35 and 36 of Emma. So I guess we're just going to talk about Jane Austen now. So without further ado, this is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Emma. Emma! Listeners, if you're new here, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen novels before. And I, Molly, have never read any Jane Austen novels before starting this podcast. If you want to hear Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, you can listen to seasons one and two of this podcast, respectively. But that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we are talking about Emma, volume two, chapters 17 and 18, or if your book isn't broken up into volumes, chapters 35 and 36. Yes. And also, we should note, this is the end of volume the second. Woo! I didn't realize there were three volumes in this book, to be honest. Did you think there were only two? Well, I like I just didn't. I don't know. My roommate is reading along with us and she was like, I'm in volume three chapter, whatever. And I was like, three, like because she thought she was like reading along with us, but she uh, somehow got way ahead. And um, I was like, I feel like we're in volume two. I don't know. What's happening is your book broken up differently than ours because we're the same distance through and I got really confused. She's only a few chapters ahead of us at this point because we're finishing volume the second. Yes. Woohoo. So we end on not exactly a bang, but some anticipation. Yes, for sure. And do we want to remind the listeners where we are at so far? Yes. So we left off at a party for the one and only Augusta Hawkins, a.k.a. Mrs. Elton. Augusta. Oh, I'm married. Very much the, <laughs> oh, oh, my God, so many people are throwing parties for me. It's like I'm really popular, really like up to the social scene in Highbury. Like, that's so weird. It's so random. Oh, <laughs> I just feel like it's so fun. Like, I'm getting almost, like, tired by how much people want to hang out with me and my Caro Sposo. It's really mm. exhausting being this popular. Yeah. I just, like, when am I going to get all that stuff done that I need to do? Because I'm married. I'm married. Mm, I'm married. I have a servant. <laughs> Jane Fairfax. <laughs> so, yeah, we were at a party with uh, Mrs. Elton, Mr. Elton. And just the crew, as it were. And uh, we were talking about handwriting. Mm -hmm. And Jane Fairfax was being really standoffish about sending a letter to some mysterious person. Mm -hmm. Whomst. Whomst. Mm -hmm. Mm. So that's where we left off. And where we pick up, we are still at said party. So let's get into it. So chapter 17 or 35, depending on your book. After dinner, the ladies go into the drawing room and they immediately separate into two groups. We've got Mrs. Elton and Jane, and Mrs. Elton is very much like dominating this conversation. And then Emma and Mrs. Weston, who are either like either talking to each other or just not able to talk to each other because Mrs. Elton is dominating the room. I'm picturing them sitting at like a coffee table almost on like two separate couches in a way that like four people are supposed to talk. Mm -hmm. But Mrs. Elton's trying really hard to make it just her and Jane. But Mrs. Weston and Emma can't do anything about it. Yes. And she keeps like whisper. So she's like totally turned to Jane and like whispering to her about stuff and being like, oh, the post office. You got caught in the rain. You can't take care of yourself. (laughs) She sucks. Oh, she sucks. 
And then at the end of this, she asks Jane if she's found a suitable situation yet or a.k.a. work for after her little jaunt in in Highbury. Mm -hmm. And she goes, it's already April. Soon it's going to be June. And Jane is like, well, I never said I'd start working in June. I just said, you know, sometime in the summer. And Mrs. Elton's like pestering her, saying she needs to start looking. It's really hard to find something good. The job market is terrible right now. What are you going to do after college? You know what this reminded me of so much? Uh, this, So I was applying to like a bunch of like hashtag law jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like, uh, I didn't want to get too far into it, but there's like a big application process to do. Yeah. And I was running behind because I was dealing with like other family commitments. And I talked to a girl I knew at a different law school about it. And she went, oh, if you haven't applied, you're I'm sorry, you're not going to get a job. And I was like, uh, I don't think that's true. And I did get a job. So yeah, we're fine. She was like, oh, my God, you're so behind. She was like, oh, my God, you like haven't applied yet. Like pretty much everyone I know already found a position. You're mm, mm." Mm. and I was like, "Um, I'm sorry. I have other things going on in my life. Right. That's actually. Yes. It reminds me also of a time. So I had just graduated college and I was home for the summer and I was out to dinner with my family and my high school history teacher was there and he was the worst and he loved my brother and he comes over or we like my brother and I go over to his table to say hi because like we both had him for high school and we went over and we're like, oh my God, hi, how are you? And he was like talking to my brother and then he turns to me. He's like, so what are you going to do now? And I was like, well, I have this job lined up for the next, like, it's like a nine month commitment. So I basically, I know what I'm doing for like almost a year. And he was like, okay, but what about after that? And I was like, well, a lot of people in my position don't have a job lined up yet at all. So like, I, I think I'm kind of ahead of the curve actually. He's like, oh my God, no, like you have to know what you're doing. And my brother like shot him down. He was like, don't talk to my sister like that. And then like, we walked away. <laughs> Shout outs to Ben. But um, I was so mad. I was like, don't make me feel like I am behind when I am like doing my freaking best, you know? Yeah. I mean, ugh, people people act like if you're not planned out for the next five years, things aren't going to work out. Mm-hmm. Here's the secret. They actually do. But I can't speak for Regency era England on this front. For sure. We don't know what the job market was like for governesses in this time period. Yeah. But how does Augusta know? How do, First of all, yes. How does Augusta know? Though I do, like, I understand her concern of, like, it's going to take some time to find something. You're not going to just, like, fall into a position right away necessarily. But I don't like her reasoning behind it. And we'll get into it. Because mm-hmm. I won't agree with Augusta on things generally as a rule. Um, <laughs> so she tells Jane that she needs to be looking for the best families. And she needs to find someone, like, for example, Mr. Suckling's cousin, Mrs. Bragg, which I love as a name, <laughs> um, who moves in the first circle and has wax candles in the schoolroom. Not wax candles in the schoolroom. Are wax candles like bougie? Because like all candles are wax, are they not? I'll Google it. Okay. Oh, wait. Ooh, I have I have an answer here. Let me see. So this is according to JaneAustenWorld.com. Having candles in every room is like very wealthy because uh, you can light up every room at night. Gotcha. But according to a Jane Austen scholar, uh, a contemporary reader would have recognized that as instantly not true. No one has wax candles in a schoolroom. Because, oh, so she's like lying. She's like, um, she's like, oh my God, she's so rich. She has candles in every room, like even the schoolroom. But like, why would you need candles in the schoolroom? Because nobody's studying at night. Got it. Exactly. And it's it's more like it's not a thing. I'm trying to think of a good example of this with like rich people things. Well, I can't I can kind of just like see what she's try, like. She's trying to flaunt fanciness, but she doesn't actually understand the concept behind it. I think it's like saying there's a mini bar in like a study. Right. Like, why would you need that? It's like, no one does that. Really rich people might. Like, you'll put them, if you're rich, you'll put like a mini bar in your basement by right. the TV or right. you'll put a mini bar by like your pool or something. But 
like there's just certain rooms where you don't need that. Well, I guess, I mean, some studies people like to have scotch if they're like men with cigars and stuff. I suppose that's true. But um, Richard Gilmore definitely has a mini bar in his study. That's true. But you you take my point. It's yeah, you don't like need one. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a schoolroom mini bar. Right. Well, that you definitely don't need. <laughs> no one would have that. Unless it's a different kind of school. Anyway. College, anyone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Jane says, listen, the Campbells are coming to town this summer. I'm going to spend the time with them that I want to spend. I'm not in a rush to find something before then, so please do not make any inquiries for me. And Mrs. Elton says, Jane clearly doesn't want to trouble her, but it's not possible that the Campbells could care more about her than Mrs. Elton does. Not than Augusta. <laughs> She's like, your family? They don't love you as much as I do. She's like, they just don't understand high society like I do. Mm, Jane, that's just so cute. But are you sure they have your best interests at heart? Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm. She says she like basically completely continues to ignore what Jane is telling her. And she's like, I'm going to tell Mrs. Partridge to be on the lookout for any jobs coming up. And Jane's like, no, really don't. And Mrs. Elton says, you're running out of time. That's so cute that you think you have time for this. Uh, But a really good situation is going to find a while going to take a while to find. But a really good situation is going to take a while to find. So we have to start right now. And Jane says she really doesn't want anyone making inquiries for her. And when she's ready, she's going to go to the offices in town. And then this sparks a very interesting misunderstanding because she says there are offices in town, offices for the sale, not quite of human flesh, but of human intellect. And Mrs. Elton's like, well, you're not talking about the slave trade. Like, how, you, why would you go to the slave trade? You know, Mr. Suckling is a very good friend to the abolition, but we've determined that he actually was not, right? So so the possibility, the thing we've been talking about is not Augusta's brother-in-law being in the slave trade, but her father. Oh, so is she trying to be like, no, 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 I got out of that. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Again, uh, this has been something presented to me by people who uh, are fans and know more about this than I do. Mm-hmm. Um. So I can't 100% for certain say that Augusta Hawkins is descended from slave traders, but a lot of people did message us about that. So I, I take that seriously. Um, you could read it one of two ways. One is it's like she's trying to disavow that source of her wealth. Yeah. Because Mr. Suckling is from a better family than Mrs. Hawk- Ms. Hawkins or Mrs. Elton is. Right. She's like, no, no, I'm I'm with this family now. Yeah, she's like, no, 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 we've left that in the past. It's disgusting. Or it's just like a light touch on some modern day politics in the lightest way you could possibly say it, as in you really don't even give a shit. <laughs> right, right. Like she's just, um, it's um, almost a joke. She's like, don't, yeah. don't go down that route. It's an interesting little jibe from Jane Austen for a lot of reasons. Uh, every, I mean, we haven't really talked about it much, and I'd like to at a, at a later date in more depth with other people on the podcast talk about Jane Austen and her relationship to Britain's role in the world at that point, because I don't know if you know this, but it was kind of a shitty role in the world at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Funny. They did some weird stuff. Um But Jane Austen, I mean, she has an edge to her writing and there's a lot of debates uh, amongst scholars. It's clear that Jane Austen is not a fan of a lot of these things, but she also doesn't deal with them very heavily in her books, except in later books, maybe without spoilers, it comes up a little bit more often than these sort of offhand comments you get in, say, Emma. Right. Anyway, all this to say that I don't know exactly which one she's getting at here, but... Either way, it, it shows Augusta to be uh, trying to make herself out to be like the best and Mr. Suckling out to be the best and possibly uh, to disavow herself from a shameful way that she ended up in the higher classes. Right. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And Jane's like, no, no, just the governess trade. There's advertising offices in town that can help me get a job. I really don't need anything fancy. And then Mrs. Elton's like, well, I'm sure your friends will not let you take a job that's with a lower family. And Jane says being with a rich family would actually make her uncomfortable. And Mrs. Elton says, well, don't be silly. Like your musical knowledge alone would entitle you to be with the best family that you could find in a big house and you could mix with the family as much as you want. She mentions that it would be better if Jane knew the harp instead of the piano. Is the harp like a bougie instrument at the time? I guess so. Um, I guess the harp is a bougie instrument now. I mean, 
Joanna Newsom could never. She's the most famous harpist I know about. Um, and she's also married to Andy Samberg. Oh, love her. Uh, Andy. <laughs> oh. And he tells great stories of like when she's practicing the harp in their home and he's just like, it's so soothing. I lie down. I I listen to my wife play the harp. It's great. And wow. I'm thinking about Jane playing the harp and everyone just lying around being like, oh, Jane. Oh, Jane Fairfax. Um, Yeah, but she can't play the harp. So the piano will have to do. And Jane says, listen, I'm really serious. I don't want to look for anything until the summer. And Mrs. Elton goes, well, I'm really serious that I will be on the watch for anything that comes up. And this continues on until Mr. Woodhouse comes in. And then Mrs. Elton starts going, oh, like, you know, I love him. It's so gallant of him to come hang out with us before all the other men. Oh, my God. What a cute little old man. Yeah, exactly. He's like. He's just like a cute little old man. I just like want to like button him up and like take him around with me in my little purse. Oh, he's so jaunty. So adorable. That's exactly it. I especially like that she thinks it's a compliment that he like came in to hang out with them. But it's it's just because he would rather hang out with Emma and Mrs. Weston than he would with the men. Also, I love that she's like, he just like will not stop flirting with me. Oh my God. I know. She's like, oh my God, Mr. Elton would be jealous if she saw him complimenting my dress at dinner. I love this because she's one of the only people that Mr. Woodhouse has met and disliked. Oh my God. It's so true. If he dislikes her, then she's got to be trash. Oh my God. Also, just the idea of Mr. Woodhouse flirting with anyone instead of just exuding anxiety mm-hmm. as a personality is is incredible incredibly wild <laughs> he probably he probably they were at dinner and she said he complimented her dress but he probably went i see you're wearing a dress here's the thing mr woodhouse has talked about how crucial he finds it to like pay ladies respect and compliments yes. He's probably just trying to be nice to her exactly especially a bride like he it's just out of uh what's it called decorum or whatever yeah and so she's like oh my god he's so cute and she she calls him her beau which if you remember Uh, from sense and sensibility yeah Yeah. is low class yeah jane oh yeah Anne. Anne. Anne was always talking about bows it's sort of a low class word so it shows again miss mrs elton augusta if you will is uh not exactly on point when it comes to like high class decorum. Yeah, but she really thinks she is. We're going to get into this in the next chapter. But uh, is it the next chapter when she starts yes. talking? Yeah. OK, so we'll get into that. So she's talking about how he complimented her dress and she's like, oh, but, you know, I really much prefer simple dresses. I just feel the need to kind of be a little uh, gaudy because I'm married and and it's expected for brides to decorate themselves. Honestly, I'd prefer to wear like jeans and a t-shirt every day. I'm just like really not like other girls. I'm like a cool girl. I don't really like any drama. Yeah, it's like um, she wears short skirts. I wear t-shirts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. OK, I want to be clear. First of all, for Taylor stands. First of all, Taylor stands. Second of all, um, not shitting on women who enjoy hanging out with men. It's fine. Except if you're the type of woman who hangs out with men and says, "Mm, I just really like other girls. It's um, (laughs) it's the phenomenon of the pick me girl, which I learned about from TikTok. Yeah, I I think it's it's just like age old because before it was the pick me girl, it was the cool girl or the not like other girls girl or the chill girl. The the guys girl. Yeah, the guys girl. Mm -hmm. So like. She's been around since apparently the Regency era. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. I mean, it's different from having a lot of guy friends because like everyone has guy, like we all have guy friends. Not everyone has guy friends, but a lot of people do, including myself and Molly. No problem being friends with guys. No problem even seeking attention from guys. It's putting down other women as a way to seek attention to guys. That's the problem. Yes, exactly. Thank you for clarifying. But it's really fun to make fun of Mrs. Elton like this. So I will continue to do it just with the caveat that I don't want uh, to offend any women. Yes. No. Again, like own your sexuality, um, but don't put down other women. I do like one thing that Mrs. Elton does in this chapter that I was like, OK, snaps to I'm Mrs. Elton. I'm a feminist. <laughs> well, if you say it like that, but she was like, I'm always going to defend women. If you are trying to put them down, I'm going to tell you. I see where she's coming from, which I liked. Yes, yes. That is a good moment for Mrs. Elton in the only a series of very bad moments for yeah, Augusta. Exactly. Um, so anyway, they are 
hanging out all together. Everyone, all the men come back and then Mr. Weston arrives. And this entire part is my funniest quote. So I won't go into too much detail about it now. But John Knightley is just shocked that Mr. Weston could have just gone home after his dinner engagements and instead he came out. And actively chose to be at a dinner party. Yeah. Like Mr. Knightley is like angry about it. (laughs) It's I mean, John Knightley, particularly George Knightley doesn't care. Yes. But. He's like, oh, wait, you you had the opportunity to go home. No one was expecting you here and you decided to come. He's like, you wanted to hang out with your friends? I don't understand. Oh, Michelle. Ah, Michelle. So anyway, I'll read that entire page later, probably. So he arrives and he gives Mrs. Weston a letter that he picked up on his way. And he's like, I already took the liberty of opening it, but go read it. Read it to Emma. You guys are going to love this. And she's reading and he's just like narrating the whole time. He's like talking to her the whole time that she's reading it. And everyone can hear him, but he thinks he's being secretive. And the contents of the letter tell them that Frank is coming back next week. Prodigal son returning to Highbury so quickly. Yeah, unexpected. So then at the end of the letter, he says, okay, like we can have a longer talk about this later, but for now, I'm just going to go give everybody else the broad strokes. (laughs) He's so cute. And Mrs. Weston is like very happy and she's congratulating him. But Emma, quote, could not speak so fluently, (laughs) which I thought was a hilarious way of saying that she's just like, And she's like, yeah, suddenly very agitated. Yeah, agitated. Mm. Mm. Um, And then Mr. Weston goes to tell everyone else. And he starts with Mr. Woodhouse and Mr. Knightley. And it says, quote, it was well that he took everybody's joy for granted because the both of them are just like, oh, good. (laughs) And um, then he goes to tell John and Jane, but they are engrossed in conversation. Hmm, about what? So he doesn't tell them. And then he goes to tell Mrs. Elton. And that brings us to the next chapter. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster, and together they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. And it's just a conversation between Mrs. Elton and Mr. Weston, the most agreeable and the least agreeable people in this book. Yeah, it is. And they just do not mesh like their conversation styles. It's like they're each having a separate conversation. Oh, yeah. So let's get into it. Mr. Weston says he hopes he will soon get to introduce Frank to Mrs. Elton. And Mrs. Elton thinks this is a particular compliment. Is she, what is this compliment that she thinks he's paying her? Oh, that Frank is particularly excited to meet her. I see. I see. Like that they've been talking about her. Like Frank is coming back to Highbury because he's like, oh my God, Augusta herself is there? (laughs) Well, I must meet her. (laughs) 
He asks if she's heard of him and she goes, yes, of course I've heard. And Mr. Elton and I will be happy to have him over. And Mr. Weston tells her that he opened the letter, even though it wasn't addressed to him, because Frank only ever writes to Mrs. Weston. And Mrs. Elton is shocked by this. And she's like, oh, my God, you went through her mail? Like, is that what I'm to expect as a married lady? I'll have to be more on my guard. I want to know what she has to hide. I mean, I know that people shouldn't go through other people's mail, but the way she is so like, oh, my God, like, (laughs) do husbands do that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I have nothing to hide, but I'd be upset if you know, Mike looked through my text messages. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I understand the concept of privacy and I think that she has every right to be shocked, but I just like to think that there's something she's hiding. I mean, we can come up with one in, uh, in a, an AU fanfic (laughs) way. What, What do you think she's hiding? Um, I don't know, like some sort of steamy affair or a past of, um, do you think she's sucking Mr. Suckling? Ew. Uh, I wish I hadn't brought it up. I'm sorry. It's her brother-in-law. <laughs> well, yeah, terrible. But, you know, it wouldn't be the first time in these books that there has been <laughs> something akin. So true. You're not wrong. I don't know. I didn't really have anything in mind. I was just more trying to spark drama. So now I've done. I mean, me too. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, just cut it off at the knees with the disgusting. Uh reference. So um, she's just shocked that he went through her mail. And so he agrees that men are, in fact, the worst and they should not go through their wives' mails. But uh, he tells her more about the letter anyway. He says, apparently, Enscombe has been too cold for Mrs. Churchill and they want to move south immediately. And Mrs. Elton goes, oh, isn't that in Yorkshire? And he says, yeah, it's 190 miles away from London. And Mrs. Elton says, you know, distance is nothing for rich people. My brother, Mr. Suckling, is always just like flying about and traveling everywhere because he's rich. It's like, "Mm, can't you just use your like points? Like I'm like a huge user of my points. Like I'm always like traveling. I just feel like it's like really important to travel. And so like I just use my points, my points. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to brunch. We're going to brunch. It's going to be great. So... Mr. Weston says what's interesting about the distance is that for a week, Mrs. Churchill has been too weak to get up from the couch and suddenly she wants to go all the way to London and she only wants to stop two nights on the road. And he goes, quote, certainly delicate ladies have very extraordinary constitutions. And Mrs. Elton, this is where she's like, no, no, no. Um, Mrs. Churchill, like, I'll always defend women and it's really awful to sleep at an inn. So I'm not surprised Mrs. Churchill wants to avoid it. And my sister, for example, she always travels with her own sheets. Like, does Mrs. Churchill do that? And Mr. Weston goes, yes, she does everything that fine ladies do. And then Mrs. Elton says, well, no, 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 wait. My sister is no fine lady. I think he's saying, oh, yeah, like that's a prissy thing to do. So I guess Miss Churchill must do it. And she's like, don't call my sister prissy. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then there seems to be a misunderstanding because then he goes, well, then we can't compare her to Mrs. Churchill. And then Mrs. Elton's like, wait, maybe I didn't mean to, I didn't want to imply that my sister's not a fine lady. I think, I think she's like, oh, my sister has taste and class, but like, she's not fussy. Right. Exactly. So it's like, she's not a fine lady. She's just a fine lady. Exactly. Um, But she doesn't get to say that because Mr. Weston then goes on to say that, you know, he doesn't like Mrs. Churchill. He would never speak ill of her, but... Speaks ill of her. <laughs> but continues to speak ill of her. And he says, I wouldn't say this to everyone, but I really don't think that she's sick. Now, I wonder why, when he wouldn't say this to anyone, he's saying it to Mrs. Churchill. I think the joke is that he would say it to anyone. Oh, because he has a loud mouth. Yeah. I love that guy. I mean, if you're going to not... If you're going to hide it from anyone, it's going to be Augusta, because that girl also has a bad big mouth and also is just the worst person to share gossip with. So if you're telling Augusta Hawkins, you're telling everyone. Right. And he just doesn't have a really good gauge of like who is. I think he's just want to talk poorly of Mrs. Churchill. Oh, okay, I see. (laughs) He's just a gossip. I love him. Oh, Mr. Weston's ideal. He really is. He's so great. Yeah. So Augusta then says, well, like if she's really sick, why not go to Bath? Like, why is she coming here? And 
like, is she agreeing with him in this? Is she saying like, yeah, you're right. Why would he come here? Why would she come here if she's not sick? Yeah, yeah. She's she's like playing into the gossip. I see. And he says that he thinks she's just bored of Enscombe because it's a very retired place. Like nothing's really happening there. She doesn't do much. And Augusta goes, oh, yeah, it sounds like Maple Grove. And it's unfortunate that Mrs. Churchill doesn't have the resources in herself to be qualified for country life like my sister. Mm, it sounds like she's just someone who needs like a little help. Mm. Yeah. She's going on and on about her resources and blah, 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 blah. And Mr. Weston is just not listening. And then he goes, oh, Frank was here in February for two weeks. And <laughs> she then says that Frank will find an addition to the Society of Highbury. Finally, he'll come to some class in this town because I'm here. Mm. It must have been so boring before. Yeah. And then she goes, unless he hasn't heard of me, hmm. like fishing. And he knows she's fishing. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, no, he's heard of you. Don't worry. Like Mrs. Weston's told him all about you. I wonder what she's told him. Mm. Then he goes on to say that when Frank left, both Frank and Mrs. Weston thought that he might never come back. But Mr. Weston always knew that something would come up because he is very optimistic and he says, if things are bad one month, they're sure to look up in the next. Mrs. Elton agrees with him. And she says uh, she always says the same thing to Mr. Elton when they were in courtship, because when things started out, they were going too slowly for him. And he was like, we won't get married until May at this rate. And she's like, no, no, don't worry. Um, she refers to their marriage as Hyman's saffron robe, which I just wanted to. I know it sounds gross, but Hyman, as we know from as you like it by Shakespeare, is the god of marriage. And the saffron robe is like the marriage gown. So fucking pretentious. I know. No, very, very pretentious. Ugh, I love it. She's the worst. She's the worst. Um, but also we do that all the time. <laughs> oh, we're the worst too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as we're aware of that. Yeah. So she's about to tell him a story, but then she starts coughing. And Mr. Elton takes this opportunity to say that Mrs. Churchill wants to be in a warmer place in May. And so he thinks that Frank will be visiting them regularly throughout the whole spring because that's when they'll probably arrive in May. So like, I know it's April now. If she said on coming in May, is May next week? Because they said that he was coming in May or he, they said he was coming next week. I think so. Okay. Or is he coming before everyone else to like scope it out? I, I think he's coming down with everybody. Okay. Okay. So it's, so May is soon because it's April. Mm -hmm. That's how months work. <laughs> uh, Indeed. Yeah. Have I mentioned I quit coffee recently? Uh, more power to you. The, I have to be honest, your description of the mushroom coffee sounded pretty, pretty grim. Well, so I bought a dairy-free hazelnut creamer and I've been using that with the mushroom coffee. And since then, it's actually been quite delicious. And I even got Mel to try some and she liked it and wanted her own cup. I will say, like, I do have a moment of fear every morning when I put it in the cup and I put the hot water over it. I'm like, is the cordyceps going to take me? Like, will it today be the day that it mutates? If you want more information on me and Molly going through The Last of Us together, which we very publicly did, you can Check that out by becoming a subscriber to our Patreon. Nice segue. And back to Jane Austen. So he's excited that they're going to be there in the spring because the weather is going to be perfect. And he thinks almost though the anticipation of Frank's visit is better than Frank's visit. Yikes. Poor Frank. <laughs> he likes to be excited. He says he doesn't want to talk Frank up too much and she shouldn't like expect a prodigy. He says this all the time. He's like, oh my God, Frank's the best, but don't be too excited. And she says, don't worry. I always judge people for myself. I'm not guided by others' opinions and I'm not a flatterer. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, she is such a flatterer. She's also guided by everyone else's opinions. So true. She's just the worst. Like the only reason she dislikes Emma is because Emma dislikes her and because of what Mr. Elton may have potentially said to her. Right. You're so right. Mr. Weston is worried that he's been too hard on Mrs. Churchill if she really is sick, but... Then he continues to be, he's like, I hope I wasn't too harsh on her. Like, if she's sick, I don't want to, you know, wish her ill. But really, like, she's treated me quite terribly. And this whole situation with Frank is her fault. And he says that both Churchills are proud, but Mr. Churchill's pride is quiet, indolent, and gentlemanlike. 
while Mrs. Churchill's pride is arrogance and insolence. And what's worse, she has no right to be because she has no familial claim to like being that uppity. And this is where we get into that sounds familiar. Hmm. 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 I wonder whomst. Yeah. And he's, he calls her an upstart, which is just, I feel like, a way of saying uppity. Like, it's a Lucy Steele. It's a, someone who shamelessly pursues a class above their own. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Elton is like, oh, yeah, I hate upstarts. Ah! Girl. Augusta. Do you think he's aware of what he's saying or is he just talking trash and not really thinking like, I'm also talking about you. I mean, it's hard to say. It's funny, though. <laughs> it's hilarious. She's like, yeah, I hate people like that. There's one family in Maple, uh, in the Maple Grove area, the Tupmans, who have very low connections, and they just moved there, but they're always, like, putting on airs, and nobody knows how they got their fortune, and why are they even here? Now, I want to say, she does say that nobody knows anything about them. Nobody knows how they got their money, and it's very mysterious, and it reminds me a little bit of how Harriet was introduced at the beginning. Like, she just kind of appeared there. Uh, So, wacky theory is that they have some sort of relation to Harriet. Just throwing that out there. Okay. And... She says that it's a pity that the Tupmans are Mr. Suckling's closest neighbors because Mr. Suckling has lived at Maple Grove for 11 years and his father before him. And then she goes, at least I think so. Uh, I'm almost certain that the purchase was made before his father died. <laughs> I was like, girl, you don't know anything. Oh, she knows nothing. And also, I mean, it goes to like, then he's an upstart too. He didn't inherit. Exactly. Yeah. So basically they all suck. And she's trying to make them sound better than they are. And it's not successful to me anyway. It's because she is like the upstart to end all upstarts Mm -hmm. trying to fit into a higher class than she technically is part of. Right. And he's like, I hate upstarts. And she's like, oh, my God, I know. Like people like that are not like people like us. Yeah, they're not like us. Yeah. I also like we kind of skipped over it when you said it, but I love her bit where she's like, hmm. Because she's not rich enough to have a good life in the country where it's like the Churchills are stinking rich. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Oh, yeah, because resources means literal. Means money. (laughs) I'll never get it. I still, in my head, I'm still like, she doesn't have enough, like, she doesn't have her arts and crafts. Nope, nope, we're talking about money. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Always talking about money. The economics of everything in Jane Austen. Graham, a sound effect. (laughs) And so anyway, at that moment, the tea comes around and Mr. Weston is like, thank God, and walks away. And then the Westons, Mr. Woodhouse and Mr. Elton, who I forgot was there, to be honest, uh, sit down to play cards. And the rest of them are like, "Mm, we're not we're not going to get along here because we've got Mr. Knightley, who's like Mrs. Elton, who wants attention that nobody else wants to give her. And Emma is feeling anxious. And I'm kind of curious why. Mm. Hmm. John, meanwhile, is being better than his brother for once in his life. And he starts talking to Emma. Honestly, John Knightley is the life of this party. He really is. And who would have thought? What a character growth moment. I mean, I'm so proud of him. That's what we call growth. 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 So um, he starts talking to Emma about the boys. And he's like, listen, don't spoil them or physic them. Physic meaning treat with medicine. I had to Google. Um, And if they give her trouble, send them home. And I was like, I don't think they're going to give me trouble. And he says, well, I know your father doesn't like too much noise and you might not have time for them now that you're so much more engaged with company. And Emma's like, what do you mean? Like, I don't I don't get out much. Like, I don't see that many people. And he's like, OK, I'm here for one night and you're having a dinner party. <laughs> like, you've changed. <laughs> Which you 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 predicted he was going to say. I think Emma predicted he was going to say that. She was like, oh, we're going to have him here and he's not going to shut up about how he's here for one night and there's a dinner party happening. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) Yep. And he says that all her letters always tell them about the things she's doing, like going to dinner at the Coles or the balls at the Crown or going to Randall's. And then Mr. Knightley jumps in and he's like, yes, it's always Randall's. And John goes, well, anyway, like if the kids are in the way, send them home. And Mr. Knightley goes, no, no, send them to me. Like, I'll I'll hang out with them. And Emma's like, you're at every party I'm at. Yeah. She's like, if I don't have time, you don't have time. Like, 
what are you talking about? And, oh, wait, I liked what she said. She said, if Aunt Emma has not time for them, I do not think they would fare much better with Uncle Knightley, who is absent from home about five hours where she is absent one, and who, when he is at home, is either reading to himself or settling his accounts. She's like, I'm the fun one. She's like, I'm the fun one. And then she says, plus, like, I had dinner with the Coles once. The ball that I wrote to you about never happened. And, like... Nightly, you know that I'm never out for more than two hours. Like, I don't know why you would think that. And she's like going on about this. And it says, quote, this is the last line. I just have to read it. Mr. Knightley seemed to be trying not to smile and succeeded without difficulty upon Mrs. Elton's beginning to talk to him. (laughs) Great way to end the chapter. It really is. Which brings us to Becca's study questions for these two chapters and volume the second. Woo! Woo! Graham, get us some party music. Yes, thanks, Graham. That's good. That's good. Cut it. <laughs> we have fun. We have fun here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So starting with why doesn't Jane want to become a governess yet? To me, it just seems like she, at least in my case, like I feel like I've been in her situation a lot where I'm like not ready to move on from whatever portion of my life I'm in. Um, That might be like a simplified answer and not really pertaining necessarily to the plot. But like, for example, when I was unemployed during the pandemic, it took a lot of effort to like get myself to want to take on a job and like get back to life. That's very different from what's going on with Jane, but, but also not so much. Like she was in life doing her life thing And then things changed and she came back to her aunt's house and she was like, I'm going to stay here for a little bit, live out my little country life, relax. And now she doesn't want to jump into anything. Now, I'm sure there's a plot reason like. Well, what I was going to say is it's also I mean, it's a jump down in a really serious way. Like she's already hit a jump down from the Campbells to her aunt's house. And now she's jumping down again to being an employee. Right. Sucks. However. I think that if she did take Mrs. Elton's advice and look for like a highborn family, she would be kind of stepping back up. I mean, depending, but like the situations Mrs. Elton are describing is actually not that bad. Like, oh, she couldn't mix with the family, be a part of a highborn family, be playing the piano, whatever. Like that sounds kind of nice for her. I mean, also look at Mrs. Weston worked right. out really well for her. <laughs> totally. Like she's thriving. And if she finds a good family that like wants the best for her, like that could happen. But she seems to not want anything too fancy. She doesn't think that highly of herself, but she also like she wants to be amongst people that she'll feel comfortable around. But she's been around the Campbells her whole life. I don't know. Like, hmm. I don't know. Maybe she's hoping for something better to come along for herself. Okay. Hmm. We'll stick a pin in it. Come back to it. Yeah. What do you make of Emma's reaction to Frank's return? What we saw was nonplussed, but also anxious. Oh, yeah. She was anxious for the rest of the evening. Yeah. The woman was too stunned to speak. I think she's like, she's stressed because she had tried so hard to convince herself that she did not care. She was like, no, like, I'm fine without him. I do not. I'm like only a little bit in love. I'm not that in love. Also, Emma has been doing the fantasize in her head about all of it thing Mm -hmm. since he left. And you sense Emma being a little bit more comfortable fantasizing about love and thinking about how it makes her feel than actually confronting someone who might make her feel something. Yeah, especially because she's kind of in her head decided that she wanted to set him up with Harriet. Yeah, and these are all just fantasies, like things she can think about while he's gone like he has been for most of his life. But when he's there, it's different. Yeah, so I get where she's coming from on that. Uh, What did we learn about Mrs. Churchill in this chapter? A couple of things. I think if Mr. Weston is correct in his kind of interpretation of things, she actually like wants more society than she has because we've up until now, like everything Frank has said is that she's just like a recluse and like doesn't let Frank go anywhere and doesn't like want to go anywhere herself. And they're just like, we're too good for these people. Um, And maybe 
if Mr. Weston is correct in his assumptions that she might want more London society, like more than a country life. Uh, yeah, like why would she want to come to London? Hmm, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like if we learned anything concrete or just have more questions, because like I wonder if she wants to keep an eye on things with Frank, if he's going to be trying to visit more. Maybe that's part of it. I'm not really sure. What did you have in mind? Well, the fact that she rose in class to become a Churchill. Oh, oh, my God. You're right. I, I like didn't even like, duh. She, he says she's so uppity and she has no right to be because she was a nobody before she married him. Yeah. And I mean, you have Mr. Weston. You have to look at it from his perspective. He married for love. He married a girl from a very wealthy family. And this other woman from that family who also married in sort of the way Mr. Weston did is the reason why his life ended up as miserable as it did and that he lost his son for years. Yeah. I mean, we the book is very light and Emma has no problems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but underlying that book from the very beginning has been these stories the tragedy of what happened to Jane Fairfax's family, the tragedy of what happened to Mr. Weston and the Churchills, particularly Frank and his father, those still tell the story of like really sad moments where class got in the way. And to hear that it came from Mrs. Churchill, who herself rose in class, makes it all the more hypocritical and also goes to Jane Austen's feelings about what class really is and what what we're protecting in the first place. Right. Can you remind me what Jane's like story was aside like I know that her parents are dead and she went to live with uh, the Campbells who were a friend of her. Oh, her father died in the war. Right. So back two generations to Mrs. Bates, not Miss Bates. Mm -hmm. You have Upper middle class lifestyle of the Bateses. I believe that Mr. Bates was the prior vicar uh -huh. in the town. And so they lived a comfortable lifestyle, but much like the Bennetts and the Dashwoods, one where there were only girls. And you had two daughters. Miss Bates is one of them who never married and is a sad spinster. And the other one is her sister who did marry, but for love and married a nobody with no money. And they had Jane. And Vicar dies. No one has any money. The Bateses take a huge hit in their lifestyle. And everyone feels really bad for them, but still hangs out with them, even though they're poor now. Then you have Miss um, Bates's sister marries, but marries someone with no money. He dies in war. She dies as well, leaving them with baby Jane. And his buddy from the war, Colonel Campbell, who has many more means than the Bateses, uh, felt like he owed a duty to our guy, Mr. Fairfax, who saved his life in the war and takes on Jane as a ward. And they end up keeping her around because their daughter adores her and they adore her and they raise her like a daughter, but with the knowledge that she will always drop class. Right. So what we see here is the misery Mr. Weston faced and the abandonment Frank faced are at the hands of someone who rose to the class that she is so trying to protect. Gotcha. Because I also think this chapter makes it clear that Mrs. Churchill is really the one who is pulling the strings here. Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we already knew that she was, like, the worst, but it adds another layer to it that, like, she is also someone who who doesn't even have any kind of right to to be that uh, classist. Nor does Mrs. Elton. Augusta. Augusta. Okay, uh, to a lighter question. Is John Knightley right about Emma? Is she going to more parties? Is her life different? Yeah, I mean, in at least in the time that we have been reading the book, she has gone to more parties, had parties at her house, planned parties with Frank made more of an effort to, like, get out and about. I mean, she's only really gone to the one party at the Coles, um, but that was, like, a big deal. Not only that one party, but on Christmas Eve as well at Randall's. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. They went out, which was big for her dad. And John Knightley observed that. So he's like, it's all happening when he's like <laughs> noticing it. But she's she is like kind of more of a social lady about town. And because of Frank having been at the church at the Westins, um, I think she was definitely going there more, which is why Mr. Knightley was like, yeah, it's always Randall's. She's always going to Randall's. Um, but she was already going to Randall's a lot. But when they first, when Mrs. Weston first got married, she was going maybe like once a week or so. And now I feel like she's she's over there every day or there over at her house every day. And Harriet as well is a, is a thing that she's involved with. And then... Yeah, keep in mind that her old social life was like her governess and Mr. Knightley. Right. I mean, she hung out with other people, but we're going to go through it in a minute. A lot of new characters have come into Highbury recently, mm-hmm. and it has expanded the social world of Highbury in a different way, where Emma is no longer the hermit with her father that she used to be. Totally. All right. So we finished out volume the second. Woo! Uh, and I want to just point out a couple characters we were introduced to in volume the second. When we entered this part of the book, we had not yet met Jane Fairfax. Oh, yeah. Frank Churchill uh-huh. or Augusta. So true. Uh, simpler times. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, I mean, the story feels like it's really grown in volume the second. And I want to discuss that with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's the plot has changed because the first volume was really about Emma and Harriet and Mr. Elton and kind of that like Mr. Elton, Mr. Martin drama between Harriet and her men. And then there was uh, Emma and what was the other big plot point? Um, well, Emma and Knightley got into a fight over Harriet. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Elton proposed to Emma and she was like, what the fuck? Um, now... Our world has expanded. It's become mostly about Jane and like Frank, Jane and Frank, Emma's crush. Emma's in love. What? Like she said she was never going to fall in love. And now she's like, oh, I'm in love. She's not like singing it. She's like, "Eh." (laughs) here's a question for you. When Emma said she didn't want to fall in love. We've talked about the fact that there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. But is there any world where that's lady doth protest too much and she secretly has been wanting to fall in love? Totally. I think she because she was saying she would never get married unless she was in love. And I think that her aversion to marriage was more the aversion to marriage without love, kind of in a Lizzie Bennett way. But also her life was perfect and she didn't want to mess that up. And when she met Frank, she was like, Falling in love with this guy actually wouldn't mess up my life. <laughs> but I think she's she's kind of in love and she's not like super pleased about it. But yeah, I think that she does somewhere. Everyone wants to fall in love, I think. I mean, some people are fine not falling in love, but like Emma. Well, I, I think the ace community has really given a great voice to the people who don't actually want to fall in love. And totally. There's a lot of people out there who really feel like that's not a place they need to fill in their hearts. Like they're, they are fulfilled and happy outside of romantic attachment. And I mean, you should feel fulfilled and happy outside of romantic attachments. I feel that very strongly, but it's okay to want somebody romantically. Totally. And I think Emma is someone who fantasizes about the world of not needing the marriage because of what it carries for women mm-hmm. in a lot of ways mm-hmm. but there are also undertones of her really being obsessed with romance I think she wants companionship like what she wants is to not be alone I mean I think she just likes love in a kind of I don't want to say a childlike manner but like a, a very simple manner like a Disney manner yeah that doesn't come it doesn't jive directly with the economics of dating in Jane Austen, which she doesn't need totally. in the same way that other women need. Right. So she's rejecting that and saying proudly, I don't need that. I can marry for love and I don't even need love because I'm so strong and independent. But the question is whether or not love is something that she wants 
maybe she doesn't, but maybe she is someone who has read about love and thinks it's cool and fun in an idyllic way Mm -hmm. and is obsessed with the idea of being in love, but maybe not, maybe not in a real way, maybe in a, in a fantasy way, idealized way. Yeah. So volume the third, Mm -hmm. what do you think? Frank's coming back. So I think a lot of things are going to happen. I mean, obviously a lot of things are going to happen in volume the third because we have a lot of open-ended questions right now, but we have Frank coming back, Emma with her crush on Frank, but also wanting to set Frank up with Harriet. We have Mr. Elton and Mrs. Elton who like are just here to stir the pot. We have Mr. Martin who I still am gunning for Harriet and Mr. Martin. Like I, I have faith. Um, in that. So I think Robbie, Robbie. So I think that like Emma's going to try with Mr. Uh, Frank Churchill and Harriet. I'm, I'm using hand gestures listeners. So like I'm trying to map it out in the air in front of me. I know you can't see that, but Emma's going to try with um, Mr. Frank Churchill and Harriet, but Harriet is going to be like, wait, I don't, I don't like him like that. Like I like Mr. Martin. I think that's going to come back. Um, Emma. Huh. I mean, right now I'm kind of like team Emma and Frank, to be honest. But like, I just something tells me that it's Mr. Knightley because they're best friends. And like something just tells me that's explore that. Well, I think it's mostly just the zeitgeist. I feel like you hear about Knightley more than you hear about Mr. Churchill. So that's I think where that's coming from. Um, I mean, he's obviously a dreamboat, so that might be why. (laughs) But I think that, like, you hear about him as, like, the romantic lead of the story, even though so far it hasn't really been that way. Oh, and then I forgot someone on my map, Jane. <laughs> so then we've got Mr. Knightley and Jane, who I'm kind of shipping at this time. But for Jane, we also have Mr. Dixon. And I'm also kind of still, like, does Frank, do Frank and Jane have some sort of past? And then, like, Mr. Dixon, the, the Campbells are coming this summer. So, like, the Campbells are going to be in town, too. Um, and I wonder if, like, will they bring the Dixons with them for a visit? Or are they, like, totally staying in Ireland? I don't know. Um, basically, there there's a lot of stuff that needs to get dealt with. How will this badge? How will this badge? What do you think of Emma? Our girl. She's really... Uh, She's got a lot on her plate. I think it's funny how anxious she is about Frank coming back. And I am curious to see, like, has she learned anything throughout the course of this book? Will she make good choices in Act 3? I will neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> Great. Um, funniest quote. Okay, this is a long one. Let me get my book. There was a lot of funny ones in this chapter, I just have to say, or in this set of chapters. I mean, anytime Augusta's around, the satire is biting. It really is. Okay, so this is like a full page, so I will just read the whole thing. So here we go. Um, so Mr. Weston comes back, and he had been at a dinner party, and or he had been at like work all day and went home to eat dinner and then come over, and uh, there was surprise, there was joy. Mr. Weston and or Mr. Woodhouse is really happy. John Knightley only was in mute astonishment that a man who might have spent his evening quietly at home after a day of business in London should set off again and walk half a mile to another man's house for the sake of being in mixed company till bedtime of finishing the day in the efforts of civility and the noise of numbers was a circumstance to strike him deeply. A man who had been in motion since eight o'clock in the morning and might now have been still, who had been long talking and might have been silent, who had been in more than one crowd and might have been alone such a man to quit the tranquility and independence of his own fireside and on the evening of a cold sleety april day rush out again into the world could he by a touch of his finger have instantly taken back his wife there would have been a motive but his coming would probably prolong rather than break up the party john knightley looked at him with amazement then shrugged his shoulders and said i could not have believed it even of him honestly it's kind of relatable so relatable All right. I'm not going to ask you questions moving forward because we just asked, what do you think is going to happen in volume three? Great. Um, so who wins the chapters? Ooh. Um, 
I think Mr. Weston. I agree. Very Mr. Weston heavy chapters. Yeah, he really, I don't know. He like, he comes in with a bang. He's like, oh my God, I have a letter from Frank. And then he like totally, without even intending to, I think, disses Augusta. (laughs) It's so good. Not Augusta. Not Augusta. Listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. For next time, you're going to read the first two chapters of volume the third, chapters one and two, or if you're following along in an unvolumed book, chapters 37 and 38. All right, Molly, feeling good? I am feeling great. All right, then until next time, stay proper. And if you have the opportunity to go home after work instead of going out, just go home. Ugh, do it. It feels great. It feels so good. Just put on your pajamas. Ugh. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.